Fairy tales remind us that there is real evil in the world, but that evil cannot and will not prevail. But the marks it leaves on us are unmistakable, unavoidable, and sometimes have everlasting consequences. The real story of Sleeping Beauty, at its core, isn't a tale of a damsel in distress. Instead, it's a tale of overcoming the worst monstrosities to the best of her ability. The early editions reveal a dark truth. When women are mistreated, bad things happen. The princess learns to save herself, or monsters are created. This episode mentions rape and cannibalism. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. Once upon a time, in a dark, dark tower, in the heart of an even darker wood, lay a cursed princess and her newborn child. The small kingdom that had once been full of life and commerce was now asleep, a shadow of a place, wholly forgotten and abandoned to the elements. Over many, many years, the tale of the sleeping princess and the sleepy kingdom had dissolved into nothing more than folklore. On a misty, foggy morning, the princess's eyes creaked open, feeling as though they'd shatter like glass for having not moved in ages. An infant lay next to her, its tiny hand clinging to her with its mouth clasped around her finger. Stunned and terrified at the sight, the princess sat up slowly, her bones crunched as she moved. It wasn't long before she realized that the child was hers, still attached. She rushed to clean herself up, then cradled the tiny girl. She rocked the child, trying to remember what could have happened while she slept. Memories emerged of a prick on her finger after she climbed the tower, and the old witch who was there, who encouraged her curiosity. Further still, she recalled the earlier years of her life, when townsfolk had told her she was cursed. Her mother had even whispered such words before. But where were they now? The tower was quiet, except for the gentle coo of the baby girl she held in her arms. Rose studied a spider as it crept along the corner of the solitaire window, where its web stretched wide. Flashes of horror raced her mind as pieces of what happened while she slept began to surface. A man, his hand traveling places they shouldn't. A horrible act. It felt like a nightmare, but one she wasn't sure she could believe. Yet, she held the evidence in her arms. But the infant's sweet gaze juxtaposed her recollection. Without warning, the child's perfect face morphed into something terrifying. It was the witch, who long since died, the same one who had cursed her all those years ago. Lamia, 
she whispered, the name catching in her throat. She studied the child, its face returning to normal, its lips curled slightly into a smile, and deep down, an unspoken terror swirled in Rose's stomach as she realized who the child was and what this meant for the future. Lamia, the witch, had been reborn, forever Rose's familiar. And the curse continued. We're all familiar with the story of Sleeping Beauty, a beautiful princess who can only be awoken by the kiss of a handsome prince. But that's not really the story, is it? Like with many things, there's so much more to the tale. In fact, the happily ever after story we grew up hearing reads more like horror than a fairy tale. The Brothers Grimm titled the story Dornroshan, which means Little Briar Rose. The name encompasses both bad and good, the bloom and the thorns. The title we're familiar with comes from Charles Perrault. The earliest recorded version of the tale is found in the 14th century collection called Perciforest. The Grimm's version of the story is considered by scholars to be a mix of Giambattista's Basile's Sun, Moon, and Talia, which was published in 1636, and Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, published in 1697. In Perciforest, the earliest recorded version of the tale, there is a queen and king who love their daughter very much. They throw a party for her and invite three goddesses who bestowed gifts upon her, but one of them decided to damn her to eternal sleep. The princess, Zeladine, grows up and falls in love with a prince named Troilus, and this is a mutual love. The prince goes on a trip and she later pricks her finger on a piece of flax and falls asleep. To protect her, her father puts her sleeping body high in a tower. The weird part is that he put her there naked. Troilus comes back and is helped to the top of the tower. He finds Venus there, who encourages him to sleep with the princess, which he does. She is still asleep, so this is nothing short of rape despite their previous relationship. He leaves, and she then gives birth nine months later, while she's still sleeping, mind you. The child, thinking that her finger is a nipple, sucks out the piece of flax, and the princess finally awakes. She's understandably upset as she pieces together the events that must have led to her current circumstances. And to make matters even worse, a bird flies through the window and steals her baby, never to be seen again, and then realizes that she is wearing a ring, which she recognized as Troilus's. Relieved, she and Troilus find each other again, and the two are married, living happily ever after. In Basile's version, a young, beautiful girl named Taya, which means the blossoming one, gets a small piece of flax under her fingernail and falls into a death-like sleep. She's discovered by a king who is already married, but cannot contain his desire for her. While she's asleep, he, quote, 
plucks from her the fruits of love. Taya gives birth to twins nine months later, while she's still sleeping. She only awakens because one of her infant children sucks the piece of flax from her nail. The king goes back to find the sleeping beauty, and when he gets there, he must explain what happened. Taya asks that he help take care of them. He agrees and takes her back to a separate house, sort of hiding her away so that his wife doesn't find out what he's done. When the king's wife does learn of Talia and her two children, Sun and Moon, she orders the cook to find and bake the children into pies and feed them to the king. The cook shows mercy by substituting the children for other animals and feeds them to the king. She orders him to do the same thing with Talia, so he finds an even larger animal to do the same. But the queen one day hears that Talia is still alive, and she builds a massive fire so that Talia could be burned in it. But the king appears, and the queen is burned instead. This version seems a bit inspired by Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, with the cannibalistic pies and rape. Terrifying stuff, right? In Perrault's version, the girl is gifted many beautiful gifts by fairies. One fairy, though, bestows a curse of death, which is softened by another fairy's help, saying it won't be death but a hundred years of sleep instead. After all those years, she isn't awakened by a kiss or by an infant sucking her finger. A prince kneeling before her awakens the lovely woman. She is only able to be awoken because 100 years have passed. The two fall in love and have a daughter named Aurora and a son named Day. The prince marries Sleeping Beauty, but is summoned to a battle that forces him to leave his wife and children with his mother. His mother is a descendant of ogres and is cannibalistic. The children and wife are spared, but not before her son catches her in the act of trying to kill his family. Distraught at the anger she feels and the atrociousness of her actions, she throws herself into a vat filled with toads and serpents. In the Grimm's version, a king and queen lived happily, but they were not able to have children. One day, while the queen was bathing, a toad crawled out of the water and said to her, Your wish shall be fulfilled. Before a year goes by, you will give birth to a daughter. The prediction came true. Overcome with joy, the king threw a grand feast and invited twelve wise women to attend. But there were thirteen wise women in the kingdom. But because the king only had twelve golden plates, he didn't invite one. After the feast, the women bestowed their gifts to the child. The gifts included virtue, beauty, wealth, and every other good thing a girl could want. Just as they were giving their gifts, the thirteenth woman, the one who hadn't been invited, showed up, and she wanted revenge. She said, quote, When the daughter of the king turns fifteen, she will prick her finger on a spindle and fall down dead. The last of the wise women had not yet given her gift, and though she couldn't lift the evil spell, she could soften it. She said, quote, The princess will not die but she will fall into a deep sleep that will last for a hundred years. The king then ordered that every spindle in the kingdom be destroyed. 
But on her 15th birthday, the princess wanders the castle and finds her way up an abandoned tower, where she found a locked door with a rusty old key in its lock. She opened it and found a woman spinning flax. Curious about what the woman was doing, she reached out and touched the spindle, which immediately triggered the spell. She fell asleep, and the king and queen, all the attendants, the cook, the flies on the walls, the animals, and everything within the castle walls fell asleep. Not even the wind blew within the castle walls. Briars began to grow around the walls, and the story of Briar Rose became a legend throughout the land. Princes would occasionally try to make it through the briars, but to no avail. But one prince decided that he was the one to make it to Briar Rose, and timing was on his side, because one hundred years had passed, which was the end of the curse. The briars lifted, allowing him through, and he made his way to the beautiful princess. As soon as his lips met hers, she awoke. The entire castle woke up and continued life. Briar Rose married her prince, and everyone lived in happiness. In Maria Tater's Annotated Brothers Grimm, Bicentennial Edition, she explains the idea of sleeping as it relates to fairy tales. P.L. Travers once said, quote, The idea of a sleeper, of somebody hidden from mortal eye, waiting until the time shall ripen has always been a dear to the folkly mind. Throughout fairy tale collections, there's been an array of sleepers, Snow White in the Glass Coffin, Charlemagne in France, King Arthur on the Isle of Avalon, just to name a few. But what's so significant about sleeping? Andrew Lang, an editor of fairy tale anthologies, says that, quote, the idea of a long sleep may possibly have derived from a repose of nature in the winter. Joseph Campbell in The Power of Myth suggests that these young women were simply refusing to grow up. He says, quote, at the crisis of that threshold crossing, she's balking, so she goes to sleep until the prince comes through all the barriers and gives her a reason to think that it might be nice to be on the other side of things after all. Many of the Grimm's tales represent a girl who is stuck. All of these dragon killings and threshold crossings have to do with getting past stuck. Have you ever felt so stuck in a routine or job or situation where you feel like all you're doing is going through the emotions but are never able to escape? I believe that's what Campbell was saying. Going through the motions without anything ever feeling real or meaningful is akin to being asleep. The girls of fairy tales, according to him, felt that way until something happens that pulls them from their once sleepy fixed lives. Many people shirk off fairy tales nowadays because of the passive princesses who await some man to save them. But that's not all of who Sleeping Beauty was. Remember, she did bravely explore the dark abandoned tower by herself. She wasn't afraid of danger or of anything her own innate curiosity would discover. Sometimes I wonder if we overanalyze things, yet other times underanalyze them. Let's not throw out the princesses just yet. Hang with me for a moment. 
Bruno Bettelheim suggests that the reason why young women in fairy tales often have a period of passivity is that they're facing womanhood and becoming sexual creatures. He argues that this sort of awakening causes an introspection season, which causes them to not act out of fear or inexperience. In the story, Briar Rose is punished for her curiosity. She wanted to know what was behind the door and what the spindle was, which resulted in the curse. While on the other hand, the prince is rewarded for his curiosity. In the earlier versions, the prince kneels before the princess. But why? In the feminine and fairy tales, Von Franz states, quote, The mother of the sun and the moon is not an ordinary human being, so you could say it is a symbol. But if the children were sun and moon, or day and dawn, as in other versions, you are in the realm of what we normally call the world of the gods. In other words, Sleeping Beauty is no mere mortal. In his theory, she is the epitome of womanhood and is a symbol of creation itself. The fact that our princess is curious about a spindle and is cursed by its prick is no accident. Spinning is a symbol of domesticity and femininity, while the act of it is associated with providence who measures the span of life. While the princess is asleep, the world seems to fall dark, as if without her presence there is an all-encompassing sadness and despair that so many princes tried to put an end to by waking her, only to die in the process. In The White Goddess by Robert Graves, there's mention of how the absence of the goddess creates the miseries to the modern world. Our princess may very well be an embodiment of the eternal feminine. According to Dictionary of Symbols, quote, the genuine and pure feminine is above all a chaste and bright energy, which brings with it courage, idealism, and happiness. The feminine symbolizes the aspect of being, which draws together and unifies. Though we often discuss the damsel in distress aspect of this story and other fairy tales, perhaps it's the eternal feminine, like that of the Virgin Mary, that folklorists have tried to recreate the mother to all that's good and pure in the world. So in essence, our princesses are the very definition of strength, power, and perfect creation. When dissecting folklore and fairy tales, it's essential to look at archetypes or recurrent symbols in literature and art. Like in Joseph Campbell's Story Circle, we're presented with situational archetypes that are familiar to readers, we go on a journey with the princess and follow her from birth to her curse all the way to the day the curse goes into effect. Then we're witness to the invitation where the prince first hears the story of Briar Rose, which makes him want to break the curse. Then we have the initiation, which turns out to be quite easy for our prince because his timing is perfect. It's the end of 100 years, often in fairy tales, Good fortune is a person's most magical strength. It's the belief that none of us are capable of defeating dragons on our own. Then we have the resolution of good and evil, or the battle as it sometimes plays out. In our story, the resolution is the breaking of the curse and life resuming despite the evil woman's attempt to thwart their happiness. 
Speaking of evil women, the most famous lady of Sleeping Beauty may not be the princess at all. In modern culture, the evil fairy or bad witch is usually whose story gets told more often. Disney's Maleficent is based on Perrault's version of the tale, along with the 1959 Disney animation of it. In the original versions, not much else is said about the mistress of evil after she does her cursing, yet modern women often align with her rather than the perceived passivity of Sleeping Beauty. Understandably so, but I think we'd all agree her mistreatment doesn't quite justify her actions. All fairy tales have a moral, which I realize isn't the most popular thing to talk about these days, but this one is about love, and what could be better than that? The kind, beautiful, loving princess helps awaken a more gentle and wiser prince to his own fate. And good conquers evil. Always. There's one more really strange piece to this story that we'll cover after this brief promo. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Augie, and I host a podcast called The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. Once upon a time, I had two blogs. Then one day, I started listening to podcasts. They seemed like a lot of fun and would combine the thing I was always afraid to share with the world, my writing, with the thing I had no choice but to share, my theater background. So I decided to combine them into a podcast for those millennials that don't have time to read two blogs. I read the original short horror stories I write every other Tuesday and review really terrible horror movies from Netflix, Redbox, Amazon Prime, and even the dollar store with massive amounts of snark every other Thursday. On the first Saturday of each month, I tell my listeners about five new indie artists that I have interviewed that I think they should know about. So if you like terrible horror movies, learning about new artists, really good horror stories, and total nerds, this is the podcast for you. Check out the short stories of Augie Peterson wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, go to augiepeterson.wordpress.com. Toodaloo! If you're like me, you wonder what inspired such a tale in the first place. It turns out that there is an extremely rare physical condition that causes excessive sleep called Klein-Levin Syndrome, or the Sleeping Beauty Disease. It causes recurrent periods of excessive sleep. These extended sleep episodes can last for days to weeks. In the UK, a young woman named Louisa sleeps for two weeks at a time. Same with another young lady named Beth, who fell asleep for six months. How do they live, you wonder? They awake for only a short amount of time each day to eat, but they are not fully awake even then. Their families have described them as being in a trance-like state. Maybe instances of this condition could have prompted early folklore so many years ago. In the end, we all crave love and happiness, which is why I believe Disney has been so wildly popular. These things go beyond wants, their needs. Though fairy tales often remind us of the mistreatment of women and of a society that undervalues a woman's qualities, I believe it's important to frame them through a historical contextual lens. Women were mistreated and abused, yes, but they were also conquerors and braved their troubles with a grace and kindness that is truly admirable. 
we may not always agree with the reasoning and methods of fairy tale characters, but their stories still hold valuable lessons. 1. Never underestimate a woman's power. 2. Never underestimate a man's ability to soften and become a good husband and father. 3. Never underestimate love and its ability to last forever. 4. Never underestimate the good in the world. And 5. Never underestimate the truth within the fiction. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod, Xperia, and Kokoru. Many thanks to Kathy, our newest patron. Your support means so much. Thanks. Want to support the show and get access to ebooks, bonus material, and more? Visit our website, fablecollective.com, and click Become a Patron. And be sure to check out the show notes for a list of Sleeping Beauty retellings. As always, thank you for listening.